The first lesson that Almond read from Isaiah 65 is full of wonderful images. And there's one verse in particular that gets my attention. It's verse 19. It says, I will rejoice in Jerusalem and delight in my people, for there shall be no more weeping to be heard and no more cry of distress. That's just one of the lines that feels so important for these days. Oh my, how we long for that. God delights in the people and there'll be no more distress and crying. Seems like the past week we've been flooded with image, images of distress and crying. Houses falling into the Yellowstone River because of flooding. And a, another example of climate change and the crises it's creating. More videos and more testimony from Washington about the turmoil our democracy is facing another shooting in another church. It just reminds us that guns are not in control or out of control. Continuing suffering in Ukraine. It's unbelievable. Our cities facing more and more poverty and rising economic worries and so much more. Isaiah's depiction of what God plans, what God hopes for. We keep looking at that. We keep longing for that. We keep working for that. We keep hoping it's true, praying that it's true. But we have a long way to go, it seems. On Wednesday of this past week, I was invited to Quantico, Virginia, to participate in a graduation ceremony of the newest class of FBI agents. Some of you know that my connections to police across the years have gotten me connected to the Richmond Division of the FBI. So the invitation came to me, come and do the invocation and do the benediction at this latest graduation for FBI agents. So on Wednesday, I battled the traffic on I-95 and found my way to the massive FBI training academy at Quantico. There were a number of memorable moments along this short excursion that morning, and yet the pertinent point came from a brief speech of a graduating agent who was selected by his classmates to speak on behalf of the graduating agents. He spoke just before the main speaker, Christopher Wray, the head of the FBI. And this young man was a former teacher of Bible at an Episcopal school in Houston. He also went to divinity school, and then he went and got a PhD in theology at Vanderbilt, a classmate of Almond's. And he applied to the FBI and made it all the way through the background checks and the physical fitness tests and every other high bar and to graduation on Wednesday. And his assignment will be fighting cybersecurity in the Washington office of the FBI, starting this week. Well, when this graduating agent spoke to his classmates, his emphasis was on how he and his fellow trainees came from every part of the country with all kinds of levels of experiences and training 
and uh, involvements, some in law enforcement, some in legal work, some in uh, financial world. His was a PhD at Vanderbilt. Very different, all of them, and representative of the nation. And he said, you would think this would become a tremendous challenge for us. Could we get along? Could we work together? Or was it every person trying to prove himself or herself? But what he learned in the 18-week intensive FBI Academy training, while we're all different, he said, they have each something unique and important to offer. And while so distinct in their skills and experiences, this only made them work harder and be better. And actually, this is what they're going to carry forward. Work together, stronger together, help each other get further to make the nation safer. This is an important message for all of us. And it's not a new message. It's not one we've, that's new to us and our ears if we've been faithful. Jesus teaches us to love one another. And that means, well, everyone. Jesus says love. And that means the people who look like you and maybe the people who don't look like you. That means the people who think like you. And that means the people who don't actually think like you. It means the people near us. And it means the people not near us. It means the people that we like. And it means the people that we don't like. Jesus says love. In fact, Jesus says, love your enemies. Which is what Francis is going to help us think about after worship. How might this calling by Jesus and this uh, reaffirmation by this uh, graduating agent really help us, reframe us, recommit us in these challenging times, working together, stronger together, helping each other, getting further. That's an ancient teaching, wisdom. And it seems so pertinent for our times. We have a second lesson. It's profound. It's consistent. Listen to uh, these words. Read along with me uh, in the bulletin from Galatians chapter 3. Starts with verse 23. Now before faith came... We were imprisoned and guarded under the law until faith would be revealed. Therefore, the law was our disciplinarian until Christ came so that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we're no longer subject to a disciplinarian for in Christ Jesus, you're all children of God through faith. As many of you as were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is no longer Jew or Greek. There's no longer slave or free. There's no longer male or female. For all of you are one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. This is the word of the Lord. As we affirm so often, every time we go to the baptismal font, as we affirm so often, as we meet, God's grace comes freely to us. God's grace comes covers us. God's grace claims us. God's grace picks us up. God's grace points us. God's grace meant, is meant to reframe the way we live. We cannot live in the old ways. That's the constant message through the New Testament. We're called to the new way, and it's Jesus' way. This passage uses the language of being clothed, like putting on clothes, we have a new orientation for our living. We have new garments that are meant to shape how we move into 
the future and into the world. And in other letters of Paul, who wrote this letter to the Galatians, Paul names those garments gifts of the Spirit, compassion, kindness, patience, humility, meekness, self-control, and others. In this passage, the emphasis is mostly on how we relate to one another. There are no longer divisions, but unity. There are no longer alienations, affection. There may be distinctions among us, but oneness is what we're called to be about. What defines us? Oneness in Christ Jesus. I'm reminded of the great hymn of the church and the choir sang it in the introit. In Christ there is no east or west. In him no north or south, but one great fellowship of love throughout the whole wide earth. Another verse says, Join hands, disciples of the faith, whatever your race may be. All children of the living God are certainly kin to me. Friends, this is not what we're showing forth most boldly in our lives, in our city, in our culture. The extreme polarization, the hatred that separate and divide. God hopes to rejoice in Jerusalem. God hopes to delight over us in the people. I wonder if God is increasingly angry or even maybe disgusted in the, in the people sadness with the people, us. I've mentioned the name Brian McLaren a number of times here. He's a former pastor. He's a writer. He gets invited to speak across the country and elsewhere. He's also got a new wonderful podcast. In uh, in the ever-evolving journey of trying to live faithfully, in the ever-changing challenge of what it means to trust God and serve God, Brian McLaren has been a very helpful partner to me. Brian's podcast is entitled Learning How to See. He's trying, and this is the third season, to help us, especially Christians, to see the essence of Christianity. Learning how to see. Actually, McLaren makes the comment that perhaps Jesus might actually be embarrassed at what we've made of the movement that he started. Would Jesus actually be a part of the Christian movement in these days? It's a good question. Jesus came on the scene and preached and proclaimed a message of hope. And it was especially to a struggling and disadvantaged people living under the empire. Jesus proclaimed a message of compassion and peace, so appealing at a critical time in history where people were feeling so violated and abused. Jesus proclaimed a message of radical inclusion. And his message was about upsetting social pyramids and toppling prejudices and toppling biases and bigotries. It was truly good news that tore down dividing walls and tore apart divisions and called people together. But in the intervening years since Jesus, Christianity has been used as as a weapon, not medicine. Christianity has been used to divide people, not bring them together. It's been used to justify so many evils and political positions like the oppression of women, like slavery, like 
taking the land from native people, the abuse of the planet, and so much more. I've even heard some suggestions recently that definitely Jesus would have carried a gun. McLaren also has a new book that just came out. And the book is entitled, Do I Stay Christian? It's a good question, given what we know. Given the tensions, given the barriers that Christianity has generated around the world. To be Christian can mean many things. It can be understood as something historical and cultural. We, you know, we inhabit a certain cultural norm, the Christian life. Christian can be defined institutionally. We're part of, as I was talking in the announcements, the Presbyterian Church USA, which is having its national meeting right in these days. This is where we hang out. It can mean something that you believe, like certain doctrines, but we also know that we often vary among the Christian faith about what we believe and emphasize. To be Christian, too, often gets interpreted to mean that we share certain moral precepts. But again, we vary in these things. To be Christian has always been a bit complicated and big. And especially lately, Christian issues have been tied to very problematic subjects like white supremacy or white nationalism, as in carrying the cross into the Capitol on January 6th. Or certain narrow political subjects only, like abortion or sexuality or marriage or something else. It's fair to ask, do I stay Christian? What does it mean to be Christian? Do I stay Christian? Well, Brian's book is really wonderful. It's filled with chapters. The whole first section is maybe not. Maybe not if this is what Christian means. We do these things, we don't do those things. Maybe not. But then it moves to maybe so. Because so many things about Christian faith can be about help and healing and making the world better and aligning our lives with what God intends. But we have to keep evolving at it. We have to keep working at it, keeping rooting our lives in Jesus. Keep faithful to the beautiful and the hopeful images that Isaiah lays out, like where God rejoices and there's no more distress among the people. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, is the way Isaiah puts it. What an image. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. In one section of McLaren's book, he goes deeply into human development. Now, theologians and psychologists have written lots about human development and how we progress through life. And he uh, focuses in, on this in a, in a certain section talking about in one stage, in an early stage of life, we're all preoccupied with the me. It's about me and mine and my life and my wants and my needs and my nelts, my, my wealth and my future and my grievances and my salvation and my everything. And some of us never leave that stage, the me stage. But some of us move beyond that first stage to the we stage. We become concerned for our group, our tribe, our race, our denomination, our nation. And that can lead to some wonderful virtues like service and sacrifice and responsibility. And all this can be wonderful and 
It can become increasingly important to us as we live. Eventually, we may, and we all hope, that we expand our we eventually to everybody and everything. And at this third, third stage, we begin to say how to see how human beings and all living things and non-living things are all interrelated and interdependent. And certainly the sooner that we recognize our interrelatedness and our interdependence with others and all people and all things and all the earth, then folks, we have a chance to survive, actually thrive, and the planet survives. I think this is frankly what Paul is pushing in Galatians to this young church in Galatia, the community of people. He's trying to help them out of the me-ism and into a we-ism and even beyond that to where it's all interrelated and we are one, where we're more human and we're more whole and the future has a better hope. Paul is affirming it's not about the rules. It's not about divisions. It's not about partitions that we love to build up among people. All the, those things simply divide us. It's about our belovedness as God's people. It's about being sustained by God's love and grace. And it's striving to align our lives with all the things that Jesus cares most about. We've been given life and blessings. We're called to give life and share our blessings with the world. We've been loved and we've been forgiven. We're called to be loving and forgiving in the world. We've been helped every step of the way. We've been healed all along the way. So we seek to be with our lives about helping and healing. We're part of the promise whether you live, whether you die, you belong to God. So we keep focused on that. Friends, we are living in a time of deep divisions, yet as people seeking to live by faith, as people seeking to follow Jesus, we're called to move beyond these divisions toward wholeness, toward unity, toward fresh possibilities. One in Christ is the way Paul puts it. One in Christ is what's being called forth from each of us. In another passage, Paul describes it like this. Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Exchange no one evil for evil. Outdo one another in showing honor. Persevere in prayer. Practice hospitality. Welcome the stranger. Bless those who persecute you. Live in harmony with everyone. This is our calling. How much does our world need that? May it be so. Amen. Let us pray. Holy God, to turn from you is to fall. To turn to you is to rise, to stay focused on you and be about your holy work. Well, that is to abide forever. We seek that way, following Christ our Lord. Amen.